I viewed being young as an advantage. Most people view it as a disadvantage, but I truly believe that anybody that is super successful loves contributing to the next generation. Mm, and if you yes. are willing to show up, add value, be grateful for the value that these people provided you, you will be blown away by like the generosity and care of some people, especially if you take that heart-centered approach of, of, of being grateful for everything that they're doing to support you. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. On today's episode, I have Brandon Fong with us. He is a husband to his high school sweetheart, Leah, and is on a mission to create a more deeply connected world. You guys know I love that. Before age 26, Brandon leveraged his skill of connection to become a published author, run the marketing for an online education company with 250,000 plus students, travel to 23 countries with his wife, get featured on TV and launch his podcast, Seven Figure Millennials, to a top 2% global ranking in less than a year. Today, B2B founders hire Brandon to get his relationship podcasting system to land more clients, build strategic partnerships, and create greater impact. I'm really excited to dig into this content with Brandon for so many reasons. You guys know how much we talk about the power of relationships and connection, and podcasting is one of those things that really allows us to connect both one-on-one -on -one and one-to-many. So I'm really, really excited to dig in and get some of Brandon's success tips for you as we move into the rest of 2022. Before we do that, I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions. If you are somebody who hasn't quite reached that level of success that you've wanted or more dangerously, you did reach it and it didn't bring you what you wanted it to bring and you feel kind of lost, let's have a conversation about what we need to do to get you to that next level in your life, your business, your relationship, so that you can finally have that life that you've been working so hard for. If this sounds like something that you would like to have a conversation about, be able to really design your life, have the courage to live it and have the support that you need to live the life that you've always wanted, then head over to Success developmentsolutions.com slash contact. And let's go ahead and book a call so that we can find out what we need to do for the next steps to be able to get you on the path to success. With that being said, let's go ahead and have a conversation with Brandon. Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Amber, thank you so much for having me. This is going to be so much fun. I am so excited. You have so much to start with. And I always wonder, like, what's the best place? But I love asking this question. So I'm going to start here. When you were younger than you are now, you look pretty young. So we'll go younger <laughs> than you are now, um, maybe high school age. What did you think you wanted to be? What did you think your life was going to look like when you I were a kid? 
Yeah, I love that question. I'm going to cheat a little bit if I can. I'll go back to middle school. Is that okay to go to That's middle school? That's awesome. Of course. All right. So I'll, I'll go to middle school. I'd love to tell everyone a really quick story about um, when I kind of realized the path that I wanted to head on. So you listening right now, you're going to be a friend of mine. You're an invisible partner in this story and you're just kind of there. I can't really interact with you, but we're hanging out. So we're in Mrs. Dentisi's sixth grade classroom. Uh, we're at Wisconsin Hills Middle School and everybody's working on a project and everybody's kind of like glancing at the clock because just in a few minutes, the bell's going to ring and everybody gets to go to the most exciting part of the day, which is, of course, not another class. It's lunch, right? So the bell, the bell finally rings and all my classmates jump to their feet and they make a beeline for the cafeteria but there's one kid, because you're sitting here, you're in the classroom, you're watching. There's one kid that's hanging out behind everyone else. He's not excited to go to lunch, and he's packing his bag really closely, or slowly. And uh, if you haven't guessed, that kid was me. If you're watching on the live stream, I have a picture that I'll show you. I got, oh, I'm uh, so little, excited. Oh, my I, gosh. I got, got a little Bugs Bunny gap in my front teeth, uh, <laughs> some, some uh, early attempts at a cool hairdo and all that kind of stuff. And I, obviously, uh, uh, well, I just want to say, like, obviously, you may be wondering, why would any sixth grader not want to go to lunch. And the reason why is because I would go through the lunch checkout line. I would have my plastic tray like with any nutritious meal for the day. And my heart would start <laughs> beating faster and faster as I approached that checkout line. So my friend Matt would go through, he always had two desserts. So the total would say like $5 and then Kate would go through and she'd get her salad and it'd say $6 or whatever. And then I'd type in my student ID. I'll never forget it. One, five, six, four, zero, three. And then it would pop up on the screen, Brandon Fong, free lunch, zero dollars and zero cents. And I went to a relatively wealthy school district. So I was one of those few kids that was on that free lunch program. And that was so embarrassing for me because I didn't want anyone to see that. And so it was a really painful experience. But going back to your question, it was because I went through that, that I actually realized now that I look back at it 13 years later, that was actually a turning point for me is because I knew that I wanted to create something different in my life. And I knew that I wanted to do something different for my family. And by the way, I had the world's most incredible parents, just sometimes didn't have the financial resources growing up. Um, but it was it was because of that, that I wanted to make a change and become an entrepreneur. So believe it or not, uh, I've kind of had that path ingrained in me <laughs> since age 12. I've, it's been a long journey since then, but still working and still growing on my journey. But that is that is kind of how I realized it. And I guess I'm still in alignment with that today. That's amazing. I think that there's so much that goes into that story from things that we don't even realize. First of all, those nutritious meals that we used to have. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that's the best way to describe them, but they sure were tasty. However, like, do you ever have those nostalgic moments where you're kind of homesick, but not homesick for a person, but homesick, homesick for like a time in your life. Oh yes. And you can only relate that to food. So you go back <laughs> to the things that you ate then and you're like, what the hell did my parents feed me? Right. Mine was deviled ham. Every time I get, um, every time I get, um, nostalgic for my dad, I do either deviled ham or, um, those little Vienna sausages and mm. I was like, these are the most disgusting things on the planet. Like, why would anybody <laughs> ever feed their kids this? Um, but I digress. So for you, it was always entrepreneurism. It was always entrepreneurship that you wanted to be able to have the freedom to make the impact that you wanted to make. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you as you entered into high school where you're constantly being pushed to a college path and you're constantly being pushed to a... Um, graduate, postgraduate career nine to five path. Yeah. So I grew up 
watching my parents grow a business. So I think that was obviously, I couldn't mm. escape from that. It's, it's what was modeled for me. It's what I saw them do. So like, I knew it was what I always wanted to do. And I leveraged my, both my high school and my college career in very non-traditional ways to gain entrepreneurial experience. So um, there was actually this, uh, I'll tell another story if that's okay with you. That, Always. Like, I, I love the path. stories. <laughs> so, so basically when I was 16 years old, I had this opportunity to compete at a state business plan competition for entrepreneurship. And so um, I was 16. I didn't have that much experience. So the only thing I could come up with was this idea for a food truck. It was called the Sizzlin' Ninja. What? Um, it, How yeah, is that was... not a thing right now, by the way? <laughs> I know. But uh, my, I, if I were to own a restaurant, I'd be like a multi, I'd be like a third or fourth generation restaurant owner. So it was kind of like, okay, yes. that's, that's, what I'll, that's what I'll create. So I, I come up with this business plan competition. I ended up taking first place in the state. And I found out that I get to go to this international competition. So I, I take first place. I'm so excited. I'm on a high. But the next day, I meet with my advisor. And she's mm -hmm. talking to all the other people that have the... Uh, qualified to go to the international competition that place in state and she slides the itinerary across the desk and it has all the details of the trip and I'm like leafing through it and I'm super excited and then my heart just sinks when I get to the end of it because it shows the total of the cost of the trip it's a thousand eighty dollars and fifty cents or something like that and of course my mind is like I don't know how I can afford that. Like I'm working $7 and 25 cents scoop and custard at the local for, for those that are not Wisconsinites is there's a big difference between custard and ice cream. So it was a custard place, <laughs> but, um, but, but I knew that I couldn't like, that was going to be a tough thing to do. So my dad came to the rescue and he says, I know somebody that might be able to help you fundraise for the trip. Mm -hmm. And so this is where it kind of starts tying into like the connection stuff. But he introduced me to this person named Brenda Campbell. I don't know what the heck she saw in me. Again, I was 16 years old. My email address was Asian Ninja two, two, one at gmail.com. So like, like, like I, but, but I must've sh shown something to her because she taught me something that totally transformed my life. And she said, Brandon, if you ask for money, you'll get advice. But if you ask for advice, you'll get money. And I'm like, okay, well, that sounds interesting. And like, I don't really quite understand what that means. And she's like, let me show you what that means. So what she actually did is she took me under her wing and she said, I'm going to introduce you to people in my network. And I want you to ask for feedback on your business plan. And then once you're done asking for feedback on your business plan, ask them if they'd be willing to contribute to your trip. And so she makes all these introductions to me. I ended up connecting with some of these people. One person donates a hundred bucks. Another person donates a hundred bucks and two weeks left for me to go to pay for this trip. And I'm $500 short. And Brenda tells me, I forgot to introduce you to Kevin Kowalki. And so he's this local entrepreneurship mastermind kind of guy. And so she introduces me to him. I do the same thing, give him my business plan, finish up. And he asks me, Brandon, how much do you have left to pay for the trip? And I said, well, the trip's in like two weeks. I'm like $500 short. Uh, and so he pulls out his checkbook and he writes something on the check and I don't want to be rude. So I'm not staring or anything like that. He puts it in an envelope and <laughs> says, good luck. And then I walk out the door. Of course, the first thing I do is I rip open that, that, that thing. And I found out that I get to go to the international competition. Wow. And so, um, that, that was a huge light bulb moment. First of all, seeing the trust that people saw in me, but also that is when I learned about the power of connection, that there are better ways to do things if you learn how to connect with the right people. And so that was when Brenda opened the doors to me to start connecting with some super high level people starting at age 16. And I didn't place at the international competition, but that lesson of learning how to develop those relationships was the most incredible thing I could have learned. And so going back to your initial question about the high school years, that was when I started experimenting. It was like I used high school and college as a laboratory 
And um, I, I kind of always did this thing where I, I viewed being young as an advantage. Most people view it as a disadvantage. But I truly believe that anybody that is super successful loves contributing to the next generation. Mm, and if you yes. are willing to show up, add value, be grateful for the value that these people provided you, you will be blown away by like the generosity and care of some people, especially if you take that heart-centered approach of, of, of being grateful for everything that they're doing to support you. You know, it's so interesting because I experienced that a little bit in the legal profession as well. And what's so sad to me is how much it's expected in the entrepreneurial communities. You just know people are there to help you. So when somebody reaches out, you're grateful. And also, you know that everybody's there to support you. And then you get into the professional services. And when that same action is taken, it feels like you're bending over backwards for that person because they're not used to that kind of support. Because people who have gotten into the high levels of professional service-based businesses got there based on competition and beating out your competition. And I think it's really interesting that mentorship is kind of the way to bring that back, to be able to connect those generations. Um, and I've always said that the entrepreneurial community is the most supportive community I've ever been in, hands down. There's just this, there's something about that growth mindset that we have to have to be successful, that we don't see others as competition. We just know that there's enough space for all of us. And I wish that there was a way to spread that through other industries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally agree. And mentorship and that collaboration over competition is it's a mindset of adjustment, obviously. But like once you I think you have to choose the right people, obviously, because there are some sharks in the world. There are some people that are going to take advantage. But um, if you have those filters in place and you kind of understand what those early indications are. But um, yeah, I think that l making the decision to choose in the right relationships and being very careful about who you're spending your time with is one of the best decisions you can make. So I'm curious to know, do you have, do you guys have any kids? No, but, uh, got married two years ago, been together for nine years and, uh, kids are on the way. Not, not uh, now, now, but in the, in the near future, it will be a thing. <laughs> well, congratulations to your future family. Um, I have always wondered this question and what you're talking about brings up such an incredible opportunity to talk about it. I look back at so many of the programs that we had in school and still have in school. And you can see the foundation of them, what they were meant to teach. Your 4-H programs, your Girl Scout programs. Like you look back at those and you can see the foundation of what they're supposed to teach. But at some point in time, the lessons get lost mm. in producing the results. Mm. What do you think the disconnect is between students like yourself who are able and willing and ready to hear those lessons and to learn them and others who go through these programs and then 20 years later, look back and say, man, I wish I would have actually learned these lessons back then. What do you think mm. the disconnect is in personality traits? I don't know if I would attribute it to a personality trait as much as I would attribute it to having a big domino moment. So like when mm. I, when I say that, I mean, like, I think that I got exponential value from my education more so than most of my peers is because I had something that I could apply the knowledge to. I think that if you're learning just to 
regurgitate stuff it's mm -hmm. something else but if you're learning it with a passion in mind or something that you want to apply it suddenly becomes more important because we all know kids that go throughout school these days and they're like why am i learning this why does this even matter but if you have that if you can instill that in kids or if that if that is a character trait that they have where they're not looking for what's right in front of them but rather the context behind it because no matter what the surface level thing is that you're learning, if you go a degree higher and you can learn about like the thinking process, maybe it's not necessarily about math or solving the problem, but rather how do problems get solved to begin with? Mm. If, if you can apply that level of thinking to any subject that you're learning, it immediately becomes significantly more relevant. So instead of asking, does this apply to me at substituting that with a question, how does this apply to me? immediately makes any form of education more significant. And I think that's obviously something I learned as an entrepreneur. And it's just kind of a trait that many entrepreneurs have. It's like, you know, I, this conversation could be about something completely different, but there's something here if you're looking for it, but you have to have that filter and that lens to bring that forward. Yeah. And I think you're right about that moment. Cause I think that we all have that at some point in time in our life. Um, and it's never what we think it is. Like everybody talks about, like a rock bottom moment or a moment that made a shift or whatever that is. And we always think we're there. And then we realize we're not when it gets worse and we're really there. Um, and I can imagine that so much of what you talked about in the beginning of the show um, led to your openness to wanting to understand how things work and how mm. you can make a difference that allowed you to be in a position to take those things in a little bit more. Yeah. I, there's this quote that comes up on my show all the time. And it's one of my favorite quotes It's by Carl Jung until you make the unconscious conscious, mm. it will control your life and you will call it fate. And, um, that is just one of the biggest patterns that I've recognized through many of the people I've had the pleasure of spending time with is that they became, they made those unconscious patterns that were developed at those early age, something that was to the forefront, something they can work on. And so I think that very few people take the time to study those early ages. And um, I found it to be exponentially valuable because you can assess if the, the experiences that you had, if they had a label placed on them that was inaccurate and needs adjustment. And it, because mostly it's like, it's usually those brain, those subconscious things were programmed by your seven-year-old brain or your, your five-year-old mm -hmm. brain. And as, as an adult now, you have the opportunity to go back and rewrite what those stories mean. And if you really want to take it to the next level, something that I've done that's been super Im impactful for me is actually interview if you're fortunate enough to have your parents around or your grandparents around. And like I interviewed someone on the show that talked about ancestral karma. It's like we have these thoughts that are passed down to us generation by generation. And it's like yes. if you're not if you're not updating your iPhone and you're still on iOS, whatever, one, <laughs> you know, it's like you, you, you're, you're not going to perform at your highest level. And so these thoughts are very highly likely to have been passed down from generation to generation. And you have to ask yourself the question is, did I create these or were these placed on me and do they serve me? That's really the question is doing that, doing that work. So I absolutely love that. You know, I'm going to have to work really hard to keep this episode under like seven hours because I feel <laughs> like you and I could talk all day, but you have like, I'm, I'm just like so energetically charged right now because this is my jam. This is where I live. This is, I, I love this conversation so much. And this is also where it gets difficult when we start working with people, whether it's like you working with people in the area of relationships and how to connect with people, which this is incredibly important in that conversation because your intentions when you're connecting with somebody is incredibly important. So if you're always connecting with somebody from a place of need 
and frantic like nature, then you're never going to build those real connections because they can feel that energy coming. But when I start working with people, one of the first things I ask them is whether they're ready to stop attracting the problems in their life. And they always mm. look at me like, I don't attract this. And I give them the same quote that you just gave. Like, we continue to attract. And they're like, I guess it's fate. No, it's not fate. It's you, dummy. Like, let's go. So I think that that's so incredibly important. Um when do you think, so this is, I guess, an interesting time to start this conversation. When do you think is too early, if there is a too early, to start talking about, talking to kids about the power of building relationships? I, um, I think you can start teaching the found, and again, this is coming from someone that's not a parent. So, so right. big asterisk Me here. neither. <laughs> but, this but, is, but, which but, is but, but this is my observation. So yeah, <laughs> but but this is my observation. I think, I think you can you can communicate the value of those relationships at a very early age, starting at age four, like, you know, five, like this is something, like my parents always encouraged me to order my meal at a restaurant, you know, instead of the mm. kid that's just kind of cowering. And my dad taught me at an early age to not be afraid to ask for something. It's the worst thing they can do is say no. I think some of those like foundational, like connecting with people like on a daily basis that that can be set there. But I, I truly think that um, I would say probably 12 or 13, maybe around that age is when you can encourage them to go a little bit further with this. There's this video I found that uh, maybe I can add it, send it to you and add it in the show notes. But it's, it's like a two minute clip with Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs talks about how he was 12 years old and he called up. Uh, I forget his first name, the guy from Hewlett Packard, the CEO mm. of Hewlett Packard when he was 12 years old. And he's like, hi, my name is Steve Jobs. I'm 12 years old and I want to build a frequency counter. Would you be willing to send me some spare parts? And the, the, the founder of, C or of, of Hewlett Packard was like, yeah, sure. And Steve Jobs got an internship at like age 12 or 13 working at Hewlett Packard. And so I, I just, it's one of those things where how could you say no to yeah. a 12 year old? It's like so many people view it as a disadvantage of being young, but like you listen to this right now, like if you're in a profession and you're, you're at the top of your field, or maybe you're getting there. And if you, no matter where you were, if you got an email from a 12 year old and was like, Hey, I love what you're working on. And I want to learn more about it. How could you not want to help them? But it's such a foreign thing and something that so few people do. I just think that people need to have the, um, th just to know that it's possible. Because yeah. most people don't even view this as something that's even remotely possible. But I truly think that going back to what we talked about before about making everything more relevant, if you can give those kids those early experiences it, and, and allow them to taste like and explore those things that they're passionate about, it, then then when there's, you know, maybe even I talked to a 12 year old a few months ago when I gave a talk and he wanted to be a fighter pilot. I'm like, that's freaking awesome. But like, like, so, so now, but now he can apply all the stuff he's learning to thinking about how to be a fighter pilot. Yeah. Right? And so I, I think that way too many people wait for way too long in their life before they start experimenting. When do most people get internships? It's like your junior year of college. That is way too freaking late in my opinion. <laughs> like start landing these positions and getting real world experience. If you're at your 11 or 12 years old, that would be incredible. So like, I, I would have done it sooner if I had known, but I, I think 16 is was it, I'm blessed to have had some mentors. <laughs> yeah, I think me you're doing okay. <laughs> I think you're doing okay. Um, <clears throat> it also, and I'm glad that you said you're not a parent, neither am I, which is why I think it's so interesting. This conversation has gone to 
kids, but I think it's so relevant in what we're talking about of the developmental stages of what creates our adult behavior, especially in the world of connection. So when you have, um, I think, I think this first, one of the, um, most difficult things to do, whether you are supervising somebody in a managerial position, or I would imagine raising somebody as a parent and a child is to let them make those mistakes. Because I think that one of the hardest things is to think that somebody that you have a responsibility for is going to fall on their face. They're going to make a call. Somebody's going to say no, and you want to protect them from that. But we have to let them make the call. We have to let them make the mistakes. We have to let them get told no. Yeah. I, so I'll, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent, but then I'll come back to that. Like, I, I think that today's world is kind of plagued with like, who should I learn from? Like, there's all these people that are talking about like knowing stuff. I love to look at the people that are successful today and see who they learned from. Like, Mm -hmm. who who are the people, who are the people that have been around for a long time that it just kind of all roads lead to them. And like, I just had the podcast episode I recorded yesterday. We were talking about copywriting. I'm a huge copywriter, like direct response. If you study some of those original thought leaders in that space, it's crazy to see like, like there's like almost like a entrepreneurship or thought leadership family tree. So if you go back to study the, some of those first principal people that were creating this content, I think it's very, very valuable as just a, a thing. But the reason why I was going there is because two of the people that I really respect that I know are some of those original thinkers. One of them is Jay Abraham. Mm-hmm. He wrote the book, Getting Everything You Can Out of All You've Got. Brilliant, brilliant strategist, brilliant thinker. Another person that I love learning from is Dan Sullivan. Um, he's an entrepreneurial coach. I don't even know how old the guy is. He's, he's, I think he's like in his eighties, maybe, maybe a little bit younger than that, but he has a plan to live to 156. But the reason why I went on this whole tangent is because Dan Sullivan was talking about on the podcast, uh, a podcast I listened to the other day about the importance of not rescuing people because it's like, you have to let them, you will, you will damage your company and what you're doing more. If you let them, if you rescue them, because it, sh- it shows so much and creates so many ripple effects in the organization. Whereas if you just let it fail and then you go back and you assess what happened, what worked, what didn't work and how can we improve it moving forward? It's that falling down that actually strengthens it. But it's like, and since we're talking about kids, it's like my wife, my wife's a full-time uh, nanny and like, she loves kids. Like, like that, that's been a thing that she's always wanted to do. And so I, she comes home so happy every single day, but she talks about this with kids. It's like, if you pick them up, if they, if they're asking for something and like they fall down, if you're there every second, every single thing. And like, you don't let them like build up that resilience there, you know, it, it, I mean, again, coming from not parents, but I can only imagine that, that if you are constantly being that helicopter parent that is, that is serving them and coming to them for everything that they're crying for, instead of letting them kind of work it out themselves, that it creates negative ramifications moving forward. So I think both in kids and both in business, you have to let people fall exactly like you said. Yeah. Have you ever um, seen the story or the parody about the grandpa, the little boy and the butterfly? Have you ever seen this? Oh my gosh. It's one of my favorites. So the story goes that there's a caterpillar that's in his cocoon. And I don't, have you ever watched like pictures or videos of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly? Have you ever like looked at that process? It's horrific. No, I think I know where this is going though, but keep going. This is, yeah, it's horrible. Right. So you're watching this, this mass like struggle for everything that it has. And this little boy sees this and wants to help. And so he like cuts a little slit in it. And what comes out is something that's half a caterpillar and half a butterfly. And he's not able to fly and it ends up dying because it's not fully developed. Mm -hmm. And what the grandfather explains, which is the science behind it, is that the 
struggle is what sends blood to the caterpillar's wings that makes it strong enough for it to fly and support its big body. And mm. when you stop that struggle, you stop the developmental process. And mm. when I saw that for the first time, I was like, I need to give this to every single one of my parents. I'm a criminal defense attorney. So every single one of my juvenile cases, like I need to give this to my parents and be like, look, like you gotta, you gotta let them do their thing. But it's such a crazy, um, a crazy story to demonstrate that. Yeah. I love that visualization too. It's perfect. So for you, we, um, now have all of these adults who, um, didn't learn, didn't have either the opportunity, the skills, the mindset, whatever it was. Um, and now they're saying, I realize how important relationships are. Um, but I don't know how, to make them. And they have been lumped into what I think is the most dangerous conversation of our generation right now, which is, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? I feel like people label themselves and then they tell themselves, I can't make connections because I'm an introvert. So I'm going to sit in my box. Um, what do we say to those people of saying, I know that you haven't had the relationship skills yet. Here is where you start to build them. Hmm. Great question. So um, I'll take a I'll take a high level answer, and then we'll go to a more tactical answer. I, another, I, I there's this concept that I, I think about a lot. It's like most people will come to you with a surface level problem, and if you keep solving those surface level problems, it's never going to solve anything. You have to go back to the source where it came. There's this there's this story called Bee Wolf. I've never read it. I don't know if you've heard of the Bee Wolf mm -hmm. myth, but um, it's this, it was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but, and I'm not going to tell the story very, very well, but it's essentially like, there's this monster that's plaguing this town and this, this monster comes in and then the, he chops the monster's arm off and the, the, the guy that's there, the, the, the beer hall cheers and then the monster slinks away and they said, problem solved. But then the mom of that monster comes mm. in and just destroys everyone. And so in order to like, this is the, terrible summarization but in order to actually solve all the problems you have to go and find what created the problem to begin with and so um i i, I will preface that with saying all that since we went down the rabbit hole of the unconscious and all that stuff that we, we hit on like all of this one of those problems the, those mommy problems that birth all these other problems is this sense of worthiness do mm. you feel worthy like, like, and, and that is something that everyone surfers from. This is where the comparison itis comes from all the imposter syndrome. But if you unconditionally love yourself and who you are, and I I'm saying this as someone that gets better at this every single day, I'm not saying I'm an angel here because who doesn't have those moments. But, um, I would say to somebody that is struggling with the, uh, concept of reaching out to someone or developing those relationships that, um, it, it typically comes from the sense that you don't feel like you are worthy enough to reach out to them, or you are putting them on a pedestal or um they're you know who am i to do that kind of stuff so that was the that would be the, the the high level answer but if you want to go beyond that and you want some of the tactical answers we can go into how you can actually start to reach out to those people but i'll let you jump in <laughs> yeah no i do want you to do that because you're 100 right and i don't know about you i'm interested to know the answer to this question for me i can identify the moment it switched for me like I can remember what it was like with me trying to build relationships before. And then the moment it switched that I realized that I deserve to be in every conversation that I'm in mm. and then what life was like after. And I'm interested to know for you, since your entrepreneurial journey started so young, 
Is there a moment that you can think of where there was that light bulb for you that said, you know what? I deserve to be here. I think it really consolidated. So I'll tell another chunk of the story that I didn't tell is like, I kind of leveraged these connection skills where my senior year of college, I reached out to a really high level entrepreneur. He had at the time about 150,000 students in his online courses, um, was Ted speaker, four million downloads on his podcast. I don't know what it was at that time, but it was like, I was a 21 year old kid reaching out to this guy. And so I sent him an email, something along the lines of, and this will allude to, if we get to it later, like how to develop these relationships. Mm -hmm. but the email was something along the lines of, Hey, Jonathan, I listened to episode 47 of your podcast with Noah Kagan and I implement it right away. And here are the results. Thank you so much for sharing that. Obviously that was like a, a vague version of it, but then it was like, I did more research on your, what you're up to. And I came up with three specific things that I would love to help you support you with. You're like the three projects. I want to do them for free, no charge. Um, but it, and if you like my work, we can continue the conversation and maybe we can figure out a way to make it work. And if not, you don't like my work, no harm, no foul. And we'll just part our separate ways. That was like this email I sent this guy and he gets back to me like an hour later uh, and, and it's like, let's talk. And so I ended up doing that project and that turned into three years of ru me running mm. his marketing at Superhuman Academy. Um, and I was on the team when we added about 100,000 students to our online courses. Obviously, it wasn't only me. We had a whole team doing that kind of stuff. But um, as a part of me working side by side with Jonathan, he got into this group called Genius Network. Um, mm. And if you're listening, you don't know Genius Network, you need to be making at least you need to be a seven, eight or nine figure entrepreneur. Uh, like just titans of industry, really successful entrepreneurs are in here. Jonathan got into Genius Network. He gets off of his first meeting and he calls me or sends me a Slack message. I think it was a Slack message. And he's like, dude, this is insane. I want you here at the next meeting. I'm like, I'm like, no freaking way. So like, here I am as a 22 year old college student. And I got to go to these genius network level meetings representing Jonathan's company. But I was viewed as a peer in those rooms mm. where I was the youngest person in the room, but I was still being called on to share my insights. And so um, I think it goes back to like what I learned from my parents at an early age that I, that I wasn't really afraid to do that. But I think that was the first time that it really sunk in. It's like, holy shit, these people are, are sorry if I was. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. Uh, it is uh, nothing uh, they're not used to hearing from me. Okay. Okay. So, so, um, but I just, I remember seeing people's heads nod as I was talking and I'm like, oh my God, I had this kind of like out of body experience where it was like, am I really like, am I really here? Am I really doing this? So that was probably the biggest eye opening moment to me is when I found that I could contribute at a high level to people that were triple quadruple my age that were way more successful. And I think that's something that as for you listening is a huge takeaway is there's always something you can contribute. Always. There is never yeah. something that you can't not contribute. So you just have to give yourself permission that everybody there's this, another quote I love. You can't read the label from inside the jar and Ooh. everybody, everybody is sitting inside of a jar, right? Like if you're inside of a pickle jar, you can't read the nutrition facts on the outside of the label. You need somebody else to read it from the outside. So that that is infinitely valuable to have someone give you that perspective, because often in any profession, in any entrepreneurial venture, you are so close to your own stuff, you cannot see what it looks like from the outside. So even if you don't have the accolades or the experience or whatever it is, by being a mirror to those people, you have no idea how valuable that is if you're willing to show up and share your thoughts and your perspective on what's happening. Yeah, I love that. I have never heard that before. I've always heard the less brown, you can't see the picture from inside the frame or you, you mm. can't see the picture inside the frame. Um, but I've never heard the jar and I love that. 
there's something else that I think is incredibly important. And I've been having this conversation with more and more people just in random conversations lately. And that's the ability to set boundaries. I feel like a lot of times we feel when we're not able to set boundaries, if we haven't built that skill yet, we constantly question whether or not somebody really wants to be involved in a conversation or whether they're just placating us. Mm. And when we become better at setting boundaries for ourselves. We expect others to do the same, which allows mm. us to say, if they didn't want to be in this conversation, they wouldn't be in it, which means that I have something to contribute. That was a big shift for me. Like the moment that I started setting boundaries for myself, I started taking the position that is not my job to remove myself from this conversation. It is their job to tell me that they are not interested in having it right now. As long as I'm invited in, I have something to share. And that was a really interesting perspective shift for me. Hmm. Do you have a very like specific <clears throat> moment of yourself when you, when the light, like, like, was there a concrete conversation where the light bulb went off in your head? Um, there's a couple. And I think that it, <clears throat> this is why I'm really interested to get to your tips because I think it came through practice. The story that I tell um, the most was actually my introduction to my podcast coach. And it was um, three years ago. And I had been seeing his stuff all over social media. He was local to Las Vegas. He was here. And I got up the bravery to send him a message, believing that he was so big, he was never going to respond. And so I send him this message saying, hey, it was the worst message ever. Um, let me pick your brain, right? The things that you're <laughs> oh, no. never supposed to say to anybody. Um, and I, I sent him, hey, I'd love to pick your brain sometime. Um, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I, I just want to get to know you a little bit. And within two days, he had responded. And I shut down. I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Like he wasn't <laughs> not, supposed not to respond. Like, <laughs> I'm not supposed to be in this conversation. It took me eight months to get back to him. And wow. then the longer it took, the more awkward it was, right? Because what do you come up with of the excuses why you didn't respond to a conversation you started for somebody that you said you wanted to get to know? And what ended up happening is he did a podcasting workshop in Vegas and he reached out to me and said, are you ready to have that conversation yet? And I ended up going to his workshop and he became my podcast coach. And then the more and more that I had to start reaching out to people to be podcast guests, because when you first start your podcast, nobody's reaching out to you, right? So every single person I would reach out to, it was like, why am I in this conversation? Like, what do I have to offer them? Um, and the more and more I did it, the more comfortable it became. And then somebody invited me to their stage. And this was the moment it switched for me. Somebody gave me a platform and they said, I want you to come stand on this platform and I'm giving you permission to say these things to these people. Mm. There was somebody that I greatly really respect in that audience. And he came up to me and he said, I don't know who that was on that stage, but he was not the same person that is off stage and you need to figure out how to make them the same. And I sat back and I thought, what was different about my mindset? And the answer was somebody gave me permission to say what I wanted to say on that stage. And I didn't know if I had the same permission in every conversation I was in. And the moment that I realized the boundaries conversation 
of by engaging in conversation with me, they are giving me permission to say words that changed. And every conversation I got into became a stage for me until I was told I was no longer welcome on it. Hmm. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It reminds me, I had the opportunity to interview a guy named Todd Herman. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. had him on the show or if you know. But he wrote I haven't had him book. on the show yet, but I know who he is. So he wrote this book called The Alter Ego Effect. Mm-hmm. And basically, you've probably heard this before, but it's like Beyonce Knowles had this alter ego called Sasha Fierce, right? Yes. Like, so, so Sasha Fierce was the person that came out on the stage and allowed her Beyonce to perform the way she was. Um, Bo Jackson, you know, really, really famous athlete, football player, baseball player. Like he never played a, a down of football as Bo Jackson. He was Freddy Krueger on, on the, on the uh, state, on the playing field. And so the thing that Todd talks about that I think is super valuable is this concept of multiple selves that like we do have multiple selves and it's not disingenuous to, to realize that there are multiple versions of you, but being very conscious about the Amber that stepped out on stage Mm -hmm. is still you, but you just had to give yourself that permission to show up that way for yourself Um, doing that work. And I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about the alter ego and and I leverage it on a daily basis. I appreciate Todd's work on that kind of stuff. But um, I think that's really important for anyone to think about is that the key word that you said there was permission. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that it doesn't have to be given by someone else. You can give it to yourself. Um, but it, it takes the courage to do that, to set you down on that path, um, for you to open these doors that Amber's talking about. Well, and this is why I think the conversation that we had earlier and why I always start with, this is a huge demonstration of why I always start with the same question, which is what did you want to be when you grew up or some form of that? Because I always find that whatever that answer is, that after all their life experiences, what they're doing now has some form of relation to what that answer was. Mm -hmm. And all of their life experiences that are in between their 13, 12, whatever year old self and whatever age they are now where they're actually living what they want was just them figuring out how to give themselves permission to honor that inner child and what they wanted to do. Because we live in a world where the more education you get, the less permission you have to do things. The more regulatory boards there are, the more people who are telling you what life should look like and what it shouldn't look like, And this permission conversation is so incredibly important for people to remember that they can give themselves permission to do whatever they want. So I'm really glad that you made that connection. Mm -hmm. I'm cheating a little bit because I know your last question is about what what success means. But I think a big big thing for success for me is alignment. Um, So but but like the closer you can get to that earlier version of you or if you can plot like the there's this exercise I did a while ago. It's super, super valuable. It's like you, t- you tell all the important stories of your life. You kind of mm-hmm. just write them down. You kind of, if you have like a horizontal line and then if it's like a negative story, you plot it below the line. If it's a positive story, you plot it above the line. You kind of just do this. Like if you can kind of look at that through line between all those things often it's it's the earlier ones that are really prominent but like the more that you can be in alignment the the stronger it really means because there's this concept called wu wei i don't know where it comes from um i should probably look it up but it's this concept of effortless action Mm. right so it's like if you're in alignment it's like you're not really struggling to make something happen it's just that you're in alignment so it's just like you're naturally being carried instead of like 
fighting so hard for it. And so when you said in the introduction, it's like, I believe that I'm here to create a more deeply connected world. It's like, I look at those earlier stories of learning connection at age 12 and my parents always having a revolving door and connecting with people. The moment that I realized that, and I realized that it's like, I need to do things that are in alignment with that um, and, and just create amplification opportunities to do more of that, which is why I love podcasting so much as you alluded to earlier. Um, it's so strong. So I love that you, you're right. I love that you asked that question in the beginning because the people that I believe have found alignment, again, I'm not perfect. I'm still figuring all this stuff out, but no, I no, don't believe that that's going to change. I don't believe that that's going to change is the, the, this concept of connection in, as a theme in my life. You know, the biggest problem, and you talked about struggle and you talked about avoiding the struggle, but the problem is that we live in a world and a society right now that romanticizes struggle. And yeah. I have this conversation with so many people where they're afraid to get on stage and tell their story because they've never had that near death experience. They've never had that like um, physical injury that they had to come back from. They, we have these massive stories that are so motivational, um, but the struggle in them gets romanticized without talking about the real lessons from them, which have nothing to do with, the struggle of like being able to walk again or, or whatever that is. Um, and then also in like relationships, you know, every, every uh, modern day love story that you see on, on romance movies or books, there's always some sort of struggle in the middle of it. And I think that what this does is it creates a world where when we see that path of least resistance, we wonder what's wrong with it. Because it cannot possibly be this easy because I've been told my entire life through the stories that I've had to read that there has to be a struggle. Mm. And so I'm so excited that you talked about alignment because it doesn't have to be hard. We make it that way because that's how we've been conditioned. Yeah. Oh man, there's so much gold there. And I, I'm, I'm like a walking encyclopedia of like things I've heard about. <laughs> but like I, so I, I want to add this. I, I got this from Neil Moore, this brilliant, brilliant guy that's been on my show. Um, but he talks about this thing called the relationship conversation. And it's, if you look at any long-term relationship, they follow a very similar pattern. And it is, it is, there's, I'm not going to remember all the details, but it's like, there's, there's things that happen over short, medium, and long periods of time. And there, there's the, so that's the, the, the quantitative, the duration. And then there's the qualitative where things are good, not so good and bad, right? And so if you look at anything from the, the, the chart of gold or anything, it's like it, the price could be going up for a while and then it plateaus and then it decreases. But like over time, that's how all relationships work. And the thing is, that's so funny about the human brain is that when something starts to decrease, we say something is wrong. Mm. Something is not right right now, right? That's the language that we use. But if you take the macro perspective and you look at this as a long-term relationship, let's say you're in entrepreneurship and there's a shit show like happened to be recently, right? Like you're going through the shit show. The question that could be in your head, it's like, oh, something is wrong. But in reality, everything is actually right. Like it is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And so once you have that mindset shift that like all the things, are a part of it if it's good it should be good but don't expect it to be there for a while because it's eventually going to flatline it's eventually going to go back down and like that's the whole it's managing the mentality in all those cycles that i think 
really serves you in any opportunity or situation that you find yourself in. Have you listened to Charlie Day's commencement speech from like 1990 something? It's ridiculous. No. Um, it's amazing. You should listen to it. Um, I have it as a note. One of the things that he talks about in there is that one of the most dangerous things that we're told is that you should do what makes you happy. And he's like, I don't think you should do what makes you happy. It's like, I'm not always happy. My life isn't always amazing. It's like, you should do what makes you great. And I think that that is what gets lost in translation is we're told relationships. And I'm not talking just romantic ones. I'm talking business relationships, friendships, whatever that is. Relationships are supposed to be easy and you're always supposed to be happy. And those two things are so dangerous. So as we start to run out of time, I want to give people what I know they came here for, which is their tips and tricks of what they can do. Um, I believe, you know, just my prediction is that the only way to get better at this is to fall on your face a few times. But I'm hoping <laughs> that you can give them some tips that will help them fall on their face a little bit further down the line than yeah. they would if they started on their own. Well, first of all, let me just say that story that you shared earlier, Amber, about reaching out to that person and picking their brain for a cup of coffee. Start there. If, that, if that's <laughs> what it takes for you to start, then just start there. Okay. Just but don't say uh, pick your brain. Please yeah, yeah. People <laughs> remove that from your language. I, I'm just, I would just encourage you to get started. Like if that's, if you're overthinking it, that's really where you get into the, the, the danger loop. But yes, let's talk about how you can avoid that and, and make it uh, much better than um, like picking than mine was. Brain. You can just say it. It's okay. Much <laughs> better say, than sorry, mine Amber, was. Love you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I want to attempt something that I've never done before on a, on oh, a this show. Will be Amber, fun. That's okay. Yeah. Always. So do you have, do you have LinkedIn on your phone? I as, as do. Okay. Can you pull up LinkedIn right now? I can. And I want okay. you to scroll, scroll to your recent connection requests. Oh my gosh, there's like 9 million of them. Yeah, no, um, this is the fun part. Okay, so I will be honest, LinkedIn is not my forte. Is So okay. I'm in my network um, and it says popular in your network, but I don't know where to find my recent connection requests. There should be like a little message button or like wherever it shows. Oh, messages, you got it. Inbox. Okay, yeah, go there. got it. So, so th those are people that have sent you connection requests. Obviously yes. do not name names, but if you could read one of the recent connections that you've gotten, that would be incredible. Um, like their title and what they do or the message like they the, sent? the message that they sent you. Some, sometimes people don't send a message, but like some of those messages, like just if you could pick one. <laughs> yeah. So um, as I'm scrolling, and I think this is really interesting um, because I've recently started to employ this technique. As I'm scrolling, I see that one person sent me a video. Um, oh, cool. Two people sent me a video. Um, I'm going to choose this one um, because I... Um, it says, hi, Amber. The reason I'm reaching out is I'm looking to build some more referral relationships with criminal defense lawyers. Would you be interested in setting up a brief 15 minute intro call so we can get to know each other and see if this is a fit? Um, our best referral partners earn over $250,000 per year from our referral fees. And I'm looking to add three more referral partners this month. Let me know. Okay. Not terrible. It's not the worst one I've seen, but, but, but it's let's, bad. let's pull, let's pull apart some of the elements that we just saw in there is like, did they take the time to get to know Amber? They found out that she was a criminal defense attorney, but they didn't really find out about Amber as a person really. So like the, the number one mistake I see people when they reach out is they make it a hundred percent about them. So you can tell this person wants a referral relationship and that's, that's okay. But like people don't know 
that there's that quote and I'm butchering it right now. And even in my own head before I say it, but it's like, people don't know how much you care before something, mm. something you have to show that you care about them first. Right. So you want to be the opposite of all of these messages that are about someone about them. Like me, 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 I, 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 you think that you need to show that you're adding value, but really, or you think you need to show you're impressive, but really it's about the other person. So uh, uh, the opposite of that is using something I call, well, first of all, there's three steps to my process before I get too deep. There's the, the compliment, the irresistible offer, and the no oriented question. So now we're, we're at the compliment. We want to open the message with something that is, that shows that you took the time to care about Amber as a, as a human being, right? So like, maybe that means going on her site. Maybe that listens to, means listening to a podcast episode, but like, I'll give you a, an actual way that you can do this. I call it the loved plus specific formula. So like go in and make a compliment. If you can it, write something, it's like, Hey, Amber, I listened to episode 43 of your show. I know you're on episode like 250. So maybe it's like 250, <laughs> 250 of your show. I loved the episode with Brandon Fong. Yay. And he Yay. talked about the magic. Connection I did too. I <laughs> so, so, so like, there's no way that you could copy and paste a message like that to anyone else, but Amber, you took the time to actually care about Amber as a human being. And that is the most important thing that you can do. And there, the, the rest of it will make more sense. So in LinkedIn, maybe is not the best example. Cause you kind of run out of space after that, but um, like sending that compliment and then looking forward to like, like would love to connect. That might be a good way to do it. But let's say you're sending an email, which is the majority of the way that I send it. You start with a compliment like that. Then you want to move to the irresistible offer, which you have to put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're reaching out to. What is the value that they are looking for and how can you add value to them? So going back to that earlier message that I said I sent to Jonathan Levy, I, uh, I'll tie a few things together that I said. I, I, I read his label, right? Jonathan's in a jar. He's running his own business. He's really busy. I took the time to go through his site and I found things that he probably knew were out there, but he didn't have that outside perspective. And I proposed a solution, solve it for him for free. I'm not encouraging you to do free work. Obviously, I think free, well, framework does, did change my life. So there's a time and place for it, obviously. But looking at it from their perspective, you always have to look at like how you can contribute. So if I were inviting someone on my show, a few things I would say is like, I've been super blessed to have some really high level people on the show. And I'm always happy to make right fit introductions because that's a very, very valuable thing for people. I can talk a little bit about the, the reach of my show. Um, and I can, I can talk about the fact that I, I invest lots of time researching each of my guests. So I know that their, their time isn't wasted. So it's like, those are some, some, some things I might say. So going back, going back to the compliment, Hey, Amber loved episode 246 of the podcast, X, Y, Z. Um, and then you transition to the irresistible offer. So I'm kind of, I'll give one more example on the irresistible offer. I, I, I reached out to Amber. I sent her an email and I guess the reason why we're on the show is because I did reach out to Amber and I said, Hey, Amber. And I was thinking about it from her perspective. What is, what do podcast hosts want? They want valuable content for you listening because Amber cares about you. That's why she's <laughs> creating this content. So I know how much Amber cares about the type of people that are coming on the show and the kind of content that they're sharing. Like, are they just going to come on and promote their shit <laughs> or are yeah. they going to actually try to contribute and add value? Right. So it's like, I think I said to Amber, if correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, I put together three topics that I think I, your audience would absolutely love. And I put it together in a Google doc for you. Plus I'm connected to some pretty awesome people. And if you're looking for some good guests that might make sense, maybe that makes sense for me to share that to you. So like that, that is thinking about it from Amber's perspective, right? So you built up the value. Then the last part is simply to get them to lean in. I, I, I think that there's lots of rooftop marketing or rooftop outreach. And I will say that it's just people standing on top of a table in the middle of a Starbucks screaming, saying, this is what I do. Like, listen to me, you know, 
So the exact opposite of that is showing that you have value to add and then simply asking if they want to know more about it or if they want to lean in and give them the choice instead of shoving it in their mm -hmm. face saying, hey, book a book a call with me or let's hop on a call right away. So I think going back to the example of reaching out and, and putting your ideas in a Google Doc is something I've used a lot. It's like you took the time to research them. You created something irresistible. It's like, hey, I put together three topics that I think your audience would love in a Google Doc. And then this is the last part is the no oriented question. 100% up to you, but would you be opposed to me sending it over the Google Doc for you to check out? So I'm not asking to come on the show. I'm not saying that I'm even a good fit for the show. I'm saying I've done work and I think it might be valuable. Do you want to at least explore a little bit more and then allow someone to lean in? And so I think that that, that uh, foresight is really valuable. But to deconstruct the no-oriented question a little bit more, I got this from Chris Voss, who wrote the book, Never Split the Difference. So um, good. So good. But he talks about this concept of a no-oriented question. And just for some context, Chris is an ex-FBI hostage negotiator. So this is a dude that's on the phone when there's a lunatic in the basement of a bank about to blow up the whole place. Like, what do you say to that dude on the phone? And this Chris talks about how um, every single day we have a finite amount of yeses that we can give in a day. Because every single time you say yes, you're giving away your time, your energy, your effort, something. Where on the other, other hand, it's a lot easier to say no to something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, so instead of saying, are you interested or can I send over the Google doc saying hundred percent up to you, but would you be opposed to me sending over the Google doc for you to check out again, just gives them that, that freedom of choice. And then it makes it a lot easier. So I'll, I'll back up and just say, okay, so you took the time, you, you gave them a genuine compliment, you created something that was super valuable for them. And then you just asked them if they want to find out more, <laughs> it's like, you didn't shove it in their face, but you open the door to a conversation in a way that is super, super valuable for them. And, um, if you, if you think about this, like if you received this message right now, this was in your email inbox, what do you have to do to reply? It's, it's, it's the, the emails that are sitting right now. You do this right now. Go open up your email. The ones that have been sitting there for three weeks are the ones that are hard to respond to, right? It's like, yep. you have to go do this thing and you don't really want to do it. So it's just kind of like sitting there. Whereas this email is like, no, go ahead, send it over. Or like, yeah, sounds good. Like it's literally like, even if you want to consider those a sentence, it's like half a sentence to someone to reply. So I've been going yeah. for a while, but that, that is the, the high level magic connection method process. <laughs> I love it. And I think for people who want to really dig in, um, you have a checklist for all of this to be able to help them, right? How can they get that? Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, I, I think that it's super, you know, it makes sense. You maybe have nodded your head as you're listening to this, but it's like, how do you actually go out and implement it? So I gave you, uh, I put together a PDF. So it's very simple for you to like have this up the next time you want to reach out to someone, you can make sure that it hits these boxes. I've made it, I made two ways for you to get it. Whatever works best for you. You can either text the word checklist to, uh, 844-669-9734. So that's 844-669-9734. Just type the word checklist and that will come over to you. Or you can go to uh, a, a URL I created for you that's for the show specifically. And it's uh, bfo.ng slash MTC for more than corporate. And, and if you're wondering about that weird URL, I bought a domain from Nigeria so that I could <laughs> own the, the short link Bfong, Brandon Fong, Bfong. So that's bfo.ng slash MTC. <sighs> and, and that'll go. It that'll makes go sense. To I was like, what the <laughs> hell is BFO when you sent me that? I love yeah, it. Yeah. We will put both of those in the show notes. There's one other thing as we, um, as we continue on this conversation that I want to point out. And that is that um, 
not because I wasn't interested, but because like all people on the planet, I am incredibly busy. Um, you had to reach out three times. And this is a conversation that I am so grateful to have been able to have. Mm -hmm. So it's that, um, it's that proof that, you know, saying, not getting a response doesn't mean they don't want to do it. Like I, it may have gotten missed. I don't know why I didn't respond to the first couple. Um, but towards the end, um, I just sent it to my assistant and said, Hey, can you get Brandon scheduled on the show? Because you're right. You did make it so easy and you made it easy to say no, which made me want to say yes, which is so weird, right? It's so, but that's what Chris Voss talks about, you know, get, make them give you permission to move forward. So I absolutely love that. One thing before we get to the success question, which we've already talked about um, just a little bit, um, I'm interested to know what your thoughts are on podcast promoters, because how do people maintain this type of personal connection when they are not reaching out for themselves? Are you a fan of or an anti-fan of podcast promotion emails? I am typically not a fan. Um, although I will, I did have one incredible guest that I had on the show that came through a podcast promotion, but they actually used a magic connection method ish email where they said, Hey, what are the type of guests that you're looking at getting on? And they asked me that question. And then they sent me someone that after I answered, this is who I'm looking for. And they're like, well, I have someone I'm like, okay, well that makes sense. You know, but in instead of just like getting those emails that I get every single week, where it's just like, here's this person with their bio and this, it looks all pretty and it's their cheat sheet mm -hmm. and their one pager. It's like, I don't know. I, in my personal opinion, I think it almost devalues the person slightly when they're doing those pitches because yeah. So like I, when I help my clients, it's like, I, I reach out or like I have this process to, to have a producer reach out to the person. And so it's like, it's still a person that is taking the time to do the research and reaching yep. out to them in an authentic way. And it's not, it's obviously following this process as you, as you, as you know, it's a much stronger way to reach out than, than just blasting this, this same message to any podcast that they could scrape. So to, to succinctly answer it, I'm a fan of it if it's done the right way, which is very rare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have two podcast promotion companies that have basically a green light to come on my show for any of their oh, cool. guests. And the reason is because they didn't send me an email. They didn't send me a blind pitch. They booked a call with me. And we had mm. like a 30 minute conversation about what an ideal guest is for me, what I'm looking for and what message I'm trying to send, which allowed them to fit me with guests that they knew were going to be good interviews. Out, and once that standard's set, you start to get those blast emails and you're like, this is just, you're not even trying at this point. Yeah, so, 100%. um, all right. I want to be respectful of your time. So really quickly, um, or not quickly, it's up to you. Um, what does success mean to you? We talked a little bit about alignment earlier. If that's your definition, then that's cool as well. Um, but how do you define it for yourself? And one step deeper, how do you check in with yourself on a daily basis to make sure that you're living it? Mm. Such a great question. So I did put some thought into this uh, ahead of time just to make sure that I, I had my clearest definition on it because I'm always refining it. So I think it kind of almost goes to that happiness thing that you talked about earlier about that that commencement speech. Um, I think that success is very often defined as a destination when in my mind, it's actually a decision mm. and not not in the sense of decide to be successful and make it happen, hustle kind of thing. But no, I think that success is a choice on a moment to moment basis. 
like you like like you have to decide in any given moment to reframe your current reality as as being successful or unsuccessful so that that is the part one but part two to add on to the uh, alignment and worthiness which i would i would toss in there that we've already talked about um i guess we've talked about kind of all these things it's just i think perspective is the biggest one to zoom in on though because mm -hmm. you can choose to look at how far how many more things that you want to accomplish, which is impossible because you're always going to want to accomplish more things, or you could choose to look at what you already have accomplished in the past and be grateful for it. Right. And I think that that is success. And uh, I interviewed Dr. Benjamin Hardy on the show. He talks about this, mm. this concept called uh, the gain and the gap with Dan Sullivan, the other guy I, I mentioned, but I think that that's a huge part of, and component of sex successes on a minute by minute basis. Are you grateful for what has happened? Even if it is, the, the shitty stuff that's happened. Right. It's a, it's just a matter of perspective. And then, um, yeah. So, and, and just to tie it all together, I think, like I mentioned before, the episode I did with Todd Herman is incredible. If you want to think about creating an alter ego, uh, that, that personifies what success means for you and how you can step into that version. And what Todd also has you do is create a, um, enemy, an antagonist, right? Like somebody that is fighting against you. And I borrowed a lot from the book uh, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill, something that most people don't know about that book from Napoleon Hill, but really, really good. But um, I, I think that that, that concept of the, the, in my mind, personifying the villain as somebody that is telling me that I'm unworthy, as somebody that is telling me that and, and causing me to be distracted all the time and is, is, blinding me from the value and the great gratitude that I have in my life. That is the person that I'm fighting against that I've created my alter ego for. So like the, the just having that personification of these two things that, that exist inside of you um, has been cool to help me stay on my definition of success of being in alignment of worthiness of perspective uh, and being present and uh, catching myself when I'm falling to the, the, the enemy or drifting. So longer answer, but yeah, I think there's lots no, of, I love it. How do you keep the negative? I'm going to call him a negative alter ego, the undesired alter ego that you have the enemy or villain. How do you keep that person from winning when you have both of them that you've created? Well, it's, it's, um, Todd goes into this a lot in the episode. I can, maybe we can link that up in the show notes. Yeah, that of was course. I did with him specifically, but, um, I, I think it's like, once you've named, like, oh, I'm going to, I'm trying to not go over it. My brain just went to 30 places. Naming and labeling, <laughs> naming and labeling is such an important concept because mm. if it is a nebulous thing that is just kind of there, but you don't really have a label to it. It's like, why was Jaws so scary? If they showed a shark on the screen, it wouldn't be scary. It's the fact that there's just a fin that makes it mm. scary. Right. And yeah. so by like the first step to overcoming it is clearly defining it. I think a problem that is clearly defined is, is mostly solved, right? And so being aware of what those elements are when they show up, and then you can simply say, oh, it's this that's happening. It's, it's the, un it's the, it's the, the, this, I call my, uh, I, my alter ego, I call it the catalyst and my inhibitor, my, um, the, the enemy is the inhibitor, right? It's like these two things that play against each other. So the, it's, it's just the inhibitor telling me that I'm unworthy right now, or it's just the inhibitor telling me that I'm drifting mm. right now. So like having those, those like superpowers that both the, the, the alter ego and the enemy have has helped me a lot because it's like, you can then name and label it instead of it just being this danger loop that happens inside of your head. And it helps me to get out of it a lot quicker. I love that. Thank you so much. And we will link that episode as well. For those who are listening and want to track it down, what is the name of your show? 
Yes, seven figure millennials. And I think we, we have lots of values that are aligned here, mm -hmm. Amber. But like for me, the show is all about prioritizing your happiness, health and relationships as you make your entrepreneurial dreams a reality. I, I come on the show as the, the humble student. I'm not the guru on top of the mountain that has everything figured out. I'm still building my first seven figure business right now, but I'm sharing what I'm learning along the journey. And so I've been very blessed to have some very high caliber people on the show. Um, and I try to keep uh, lots of eclectic people too. I've had on a decorated air fighter pilot, a uh, former FBI hostage negotiator that wasn't Chris Voss, um, hypnotists, illusionists, seven, eight, nine figure entrepreneurs. So I, I, I try to take and pull on all these really random and cool perspectives and find that weaving throughout all of it. So uh, yeah, seven figure millennials, you can go check that out wherever uh, you're listening to this podcast right now. And it's the number seven. And I realized I made lots of mistakes in my branding because people can't spell the word millennial either. <laughs> I L L two L's and two N's M I L L E N N I A L S. But, uh, and the number seven. So seven figure millennials find it wherever you listen to this. And Brandon has um, created a spelling bee for his branding, right? Yes. Like that's yes. <laughs> um, all right. So people want to continue this conversation, which they should, because you are an amazing human that has so much to Thank teach you. people about relationships. What's the best way for them to contact you? Um, I'm going to get my email. I haven't done this on, on many shows, but uh, just go, just send me Brandon at brandonfong.co. Uh, .co. So um, yeah, last name is Fong, F-O-N-G. So Brandon at brandonfong.co, shoot me an email or check out um, those two resources I sent before both it's pretty easy to get a hold of me so shoot me shoot me a message and I'd, I'd love to find out how i can best support you i honest to god will i do my best to respond to everyone and if you tell me what you're up to i might be able to send you a specific podcast episode or a resource that might be able to help you out uh because i appreciate you for listening and for hanging out with us today that's amazing um i know we're over time i want to respect your time do you have time for a two to three minute random round oh yes let's do it I, okay cool yes let's do it all right. Um, if you could do any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? Oh, no. Um, profession. Uh, I, I, I guess I would say I'm a huge spike ball player. I love playing spike ball. Oh so if I could, pr I could play like pro spike ball would be cool. Is that a thing? <laughs> that, that'd be Oh my, oh yeah, it's a, it's a thing. Really? And I, it, it, yeah, go check out some of these crazy rallies that these people are having. And if you don't know what spike ball is, you can you can YouTube it, but it's this little trampoline-like net and like it's 2v2, it's four square meets volleyball. It's more frustrating it's, than golf. Like it's, oh, I it's, thought it was just what I played when I was at my drunken family reunion. I didn't know it was like a real thing. It's a thing. Go check out some of those elite players. They're nuts. So I played in a few tournaments. I it's my second season playing and I'm obsessed with it. I I just I'm ridiculously obsessed with it. <laughs> well, hopefully we'll be adding professional spike ball player to your resume soon when you have there your seven cool. figure business running on its own. <laughs> um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Hmm. I don't know if I would pick, uh, well, oh, okay. Hold on. I did come up with an answer. I would love to be an observer of my childhood, like just to just to not, not interact with it or anything like that, but just to observe it. Uh, I think, you know, just because I'm so obsessed with studying like the, the elements that made me, me. And we talked about the whole unconscious thing. If I could have that thing, like when I have these boxes that like are, have my, some, some of my grading when I was a kid, whenever I can find those things or I've looked through them, it's like, Oh, that is so interesting. I had this characteristic as a second grader. Um, so I think that just observing, observing that would be really freaking cool. Um, not that I would want to change anything, but just to see it. Yeah. I um, think that that is probably my 
the answer that I would give as well. I was mm. listening to a songwriter and I love songwriters for the passion they give into things. And he was talking about um, one of the most powerful quotes that was ever said to him. And it was, I wish I could go back and listen to all the things my dad said when I wasn't listening. Mm. And that's how I feel about observing a childhood, right? Like what are all the things that were said to me that I didn't listen to? I think that's an incredible answer. Mm. Thank you. Um, I'm really excited for your answer to this next one because you have such an amazing library of content in your head. Um, <laughs> what is the most recommended book that you have given to people? Um, so there are a few foundational ones that I, I guess I would, I would recommend. I'll try to pick some ones that people haven't heard. Um, one of them that I really love was uh, Expand by Shannon Graham. Shannon's been on my show. He helped increase the GDP of New Zealand on a project that he worked wow. on. Uh, he's working on taking Earth to become a tier 1.5 civilization on the Kardashian scale. Um, and that talks a lot about worthiness. That was kind of the first concept that I, I learned about worthiness. So like, you won't find a lot about that, and it's, uh, but like search that. Um, so I'd say, I'd say that one, I would also, I'll toss in a few copywriting books. I think if you're going to choose, if you're going to choose one skill set to learn about yourself, about human behavior, about humans tick, some of those copywriting books are really good. Breakthrough advertising by Eugene Schwartz is considered one of the Bibles of copywriting. Um, if you go on eBay, they sell for like $700 cause it's like not printed anymore. But if you, Brian Kurtz bought the rights for it. So if you go to Titans marketing, uh, breakthrough advertising. I think you can buy a copy for 125 bucks or something like that. Um, not light reading, by the way. So like that, that, that might be, um, and I'm just trying to think of um, maybe one other one. Um, I love that surrender. you're looking at your bookshelf right I know, now. I'm I can looking totally at my bookshelf. see it. Uh, like <laughs> Sol Solve for Happy is another one that I really, really love by Mo Gaudat. Uh, I had him on the show, former chief business officer of Google X. Um, that that's an incredible story. And then, um, Wayne Dyer's book, the power of intention, uh, I'll put in there. Uh, yeah, sorry. I'm now I'm just, I'm listing them all. So that was too much of an answer, but yeah. <laughs> oh no, it was, it's never too much of an answer. Here is my last question for you because I'm a music nerd. I have a playlist with all of the answers to this question. So don't let Ooh. that influence what you say. What is your pump up song? What is that song that you put on that you just need to change your mood and be pumped up? This is embarrassing. I can't remember the name of the song, but um, I, I will say my uh, Mariana's Trench is uh, okay. a band that we're going to see in Canada. We're going to see them in a few months right now. So like anything by Mariana's Trench is is really good. But it, now it's bothering me that I just drew a blank on this other song. So I'm going to find it and make sure that I add it to your playlist afterwards. <laughs> yes. I look at it on my phone. <laughs> yes. Send me a video. I'll tell my podcast editor like, hey, just throw this in. No one will ever know that it was cool. a part Sounds of the show. Good. Um, Sounds good. Brandon, I appreciate your time so much. I appreciate your insight, your incredible um, childhood experiences that have led to the impact that you get to make on the world. And I thank you for spending some time with me and my audience today. Thank you, Amber. This has been so much fun and I appreciate you guys for listening.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in, the name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.